Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Gregory Benedict. Gregory, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here, Quentin. Thank you. Absolutely, man. So, uh, Gregory, uh, I'm uh, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, I'm excited to get into your story. Before we kind of get into the depths of your story, I've got some uh, questions I like to call the conversational uh, starter questions, just to kind of like get the ball rolling, so to speak, in terms of our uh, conversation discussion today. So I'd like to know, uh, Gregory, how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most days or mornings? I would say I'm actually pretty intentional about how I start my mornings. Over the years, I've developed a morning routine and the acronym I have for what I do in the morning is GLIMRS. It's G-L-M-R-S. And what that stands for, I always start my day with gratitude. I'm a big fan of writing down five things I'm grateful for and why and reading those back. And I find that that really just sets the tone for my day. If one of the first things you do when you wake up is think about the good instead of the bad or the challenges or everything you have to do that day, it can fundamentally change the course of the day. So I start with gratitude. I move into the L, which stands for Lifebook. Lifebook is this Mind Valley course I took a while ago. Mind Valley is this online personal development program. But what it has evolved into, my Lifebook is essentially a list of my goals and who I want to become. It's who I want to become in a bunch of different areas like my emotional life, my intellectual life, my love life, my spiritual life, my health and fitness. So it really anchors me into who do I want to become. And orienting myself that way in the morning really helps, again, set up the day, set up my week for success. Gratitude, life book. Next, the M stands for meditation. I am a huge, huge fan and proponent of meditation. I've been meditating every day or almost every day for probably five or six years. Ever since I graduated college, it became a huge part of my life. For people listening, if meditation is scary, if it's hard, just know that you can't do it wrong. If you sit down for five minutes, for 10 minutes, no matter what happens during that intentional time, you can call that meditating and it will help. So gratitude, life book, which is just reviewing who I want to be, meditation. After that is reading. I love to read. I'm a voracious reader. I spend 15 minutes each morning reading because for the longest time, I kept saying I wanted to read more and I would never find time to do it. Reading in the morning is so fun for me. It feels like a guilty pleasure and it's a good way to start the day. And then the last thing, which is actually pretty recent for me, is an S for service. I've started trying to serve one person, at least one person each morning. And it's not a big, grandiose act. It's just me thinking, how can I help someone, one of my friends, one of my clients, someone in my network? How can I help someone with something they're working on or send them something inspiring? So sometimes it's just sending a quote. Sometimes it's just me saying, hey, I'm thinking of you this morning or sharing a book recommendation or a podcast. I tell people that my love language is sharing resources that I find helpful. So that is what I do to start my mornings. Okay. <clears throat> Gregory, I want to kind of touch on a couple of these a little bit more in depth, if you don't mind. Now, uh, let's let's first of all, uh, let's start with the first uh, uh, 
letter here, uh, G, gratitude. Um, how long have you been incorporating gratitude? Maybe not necessarily into a morning routine of yours, but uh, just the practice and gratitude, generally speaking, how long have you kind of been incorporating that in your life? And why do you feel like gratitude is something that is powerful and impactful for you, uh, but also others that would incorporate it throughout their uh, their life? Yeah. So I would say a lot of these practices, pretty much all of my personal development, personal growth came as soon as I left college. As soon as I left college, I realized that I had all of this energy and drive and ambition. And yet I was working an entry-level job as a internal auditor, which for anyone who's ever been in audit, I'm so sorry. It's a hilariously miserable place to be, at least in my opinion. And so I had all this energy to go out and change the world, but I was an auditor. And I realized that as much as I tried, as much energy as I poured into that job, I just couldn't have the impact I wanted. And so it was then that I realized that I could take all of this energy and drive and I could change myself faster than I could change my job or the world. And so I really turned all of that energy inwards and got really into personal development. And so to answer your question, I would say about I don't know, it's 2023. I graduated in 2017, about five, six years since I graduated. And gratitude has been there the whole time. Gratitude has been one of the fundamental building blocks, gratitude, meditation, learning through podcasts and books. And for me, gratitude is so powerful because if you actually are feeling gratitude, it's impossible to feel anything else, any sort of negative emotion. It's such a positive, abundant state. And when you start with gratitude and when you're in that, everything just seems better. All of your problems seem smaller. I mean, even little things like, oh my gosh, I have legs and arms. I'm healthy. I can walk. I can move my body. Whenever I hear stories of quadriplegics or people who have been paralyzed or people who have lost a limb in an accident and they're still doing cool things. It inspires me so much. And it just makes me so grateful for what I have. Excellent. Okay. Uh, I want to touch on meditation a little bit because you kind of mentioned it. It, it can be kind of scary for, for some people. It's There's a lot of uh, uh, interpretations, I guess you could say, of meditation, uh, maybe a lot of negative connotation attached to that word with different people. So um, as simply as you can, uh, Gregory, or maybe how you explain it to some of your clients when you're, you're coaching them, what is meditation and what's the... How can somebody start with meditation? Let's let's just expound on that because I want to give some of the listeners some takeaways because I do also believe in the power of meditation, but it can be scary. It can be a little bit daunting uh, if you start Googling meditation, right? So um, just share simply what it is and how somebody can start, what it kind of looks like, practically speaking. I would say my personal definition of meditation is setting aside intentional time to sit down and be quiet, mm. not speak, not move about. I know there's walking meditations, but we're not going to talk about those right now. Just setting aside five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to sit down and just be with yourself in silence. It's okay if there's tons of thoughts running through your head. It's okay if you're feeling restless. It's okay if you're feeling like it's really hard and you're not doing it right. I think what I would want to share is that 
you can't get it wrong. It's all about the intention of sitting down, of being quiet. A lot of times I have tons of thoughts run through my mind and that's what I needed that day. I needed to just go through all the thoughts to kind of cleanse my mind and that's fine. Other days I sit down and I'm really quiet and still and I can fall into that deep meditative state. But I think that's the biggest thing I would say is that you can't do it wrong. The fact that you do it is great. It's almost like one of my one of my favorite ideas is it's not about win or lose. It's whether you accept the challenge. So if you accept the challenge of sitting down to be with your thoughts, which can be really scary, then you've already won. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit about my definition of it. A great place to start, especially because sitting in silence can be scary. A great place to start is guided meditations. There's a fantastic 20 minute long guided meditation called the six phase meditation. We can link it in the show notes. It's pretty popular on YouTube and it guides you through six phases of your life. Gratitude is one of them. Forgiveness is one of them. Thinking about your current day, thinking about your ideal day and your future. And that can be a nice on-ramp for people getting into meditation to do a guided one. And then ultimately it's whatever floats your boat. It's whatever feels right for you. I don't think that guided is less than silent. I think whatever is going to get you into the daily practice and fill you up and serve you and fill your cup is really what's most important. Um, why, why is it scary uh, for, for us sometimes to uh, be alone and to, to be quiet? What, what, what is that? Cause I, you kind of just said that and, and I hear that a lot. Um, I don't think for myself personally, I've ever been afraid to be alone or to, uh, you know, sit, sit in my thoughts quietly alone, but I do hear that a lot. What's, what, what do you say on that, uh, Gregory? And, 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 and have you been afraid to be quiet and be alone in the sense of kind of like that meditation, uh, type setting? I think there's two components to it. I think the two most common things I hear is it's either incredibly frustrating and hard and there's just too many thoughts. And then I also do hear that it's scary. So we'll talk about the scary piece because the the frustration is just, we live in a fast paced world. When you go to sit down, of course, it's going to take time to train that muscle. You won't just fall into it and be, you know, levitating immediately. The scary part, I haven't experienced this personally. I think because of how I was taught to meditate by a friend's mom who I knew and loved, and it was very loving and peaceful. And also I think my temperament and disposition is very calm and I'm not an anxious person. The fear I've heard from people comes from anxiety. It comes from being afraid of letting the dust settle to see the things that maybe they know they need to work on. The emotions that they've been suppressing, that they've been pushing down, it's really easy to keep those out of sight, out of mind when you're just crushing your morning tasks on your fourth cup of coffee. I think the fear comes from what's going to happen if I sit down and actually face the things that I'm feeling instead of suppressing them. That's that's what I've heard from people. And that's also an inference I'm making. Okay. Awesome. All right. Second question here kind of as a part of the conversational starters, Gregory. Uh, and this is please, because you already said you you enjoy reading. You start your day with 
15 minutes at least of reading. So if there's more than one uh, for this next question, feel free to share. Um, what's your favorite book? Oh, you know, there's going to be more than one. <laughs> Go for favorite, it. <laughs> favorite book, favorite books. I'll give three that are totally across the board in terms of genre. When I'm thinking personal development, wellness, happiness, philosophy, all of that. One of the books that's the biggest bang for your buck, I think it's funny because it wasn't even supposed to be a book. It's called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Naval Ravikant is this incredible philosopher, thinker, entrepreneur. He got his start in Silicon Valley as a VC investor, an angel investor, and he had the courage to start talking about philosophy and happiness. And I love, he talks about how success and happiness are often two different paths. And they can actually, like if you try and walk down the success path, a lot of times it takes you away from happiness and vice versa. And when he was doing this, he was starting to dip his toe into philosophy. All of his friends and people in Silicon Valley said like, what are you doing? You can't do this. You're the tech entrepreneur guy. And he didn't listen to them, which I appreciate. And I say it's not, it wasn't supposed to be a book because the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, it's a collection of everything he's tweeted, all of the interviews he's done, and a man named Oric, named Eric Jorgensen compiled all of that into a book because he's that legendary. Naval is that le legendary. He's such an incredible thinker. So I, I recommend that book. The first part is about building wealth. It's, just, it's very businessy, but there's a lot of good lessons in there. The second half is about happiness and it's a little more philosophical and both are incredible. I've recommended that book to a lot of people who say, oh, I would have never have read this. Um, and yet they find it very, very helpful and powerful. So the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, definitely recommend that. In the fiction category, The Gentleman in Moscow is one of my favorite books. It's just this fun story. And what I love most is the writing. The author, I'm probably saying his name wrong. It's Amor Towles or Towles. I don't know how to say his last name. He's brilliant. His style of writing is so subtly hilarious. Like the whole thing feels like it's written slightly tongue in cheek. And I absolutely love that kind of humor. So I recommend that book to everyone. It's a great story. It's it's like I said, it's hilarious. And then I think the third book I would share, and this is this is the most gifted book that I give to people. It's it would fall in the realm of spirituality and it's called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. It's a really short book and it's about everything. It's about the inner, he calls it your inner roommate, that voice in your head that's always talking. Um, it talks about meditation, quieting that voice. It talks about religion from a spiritual sense. Like he doesn't talk about any set religion. He talks about death. He talks about love. He talks about the energy we have inside of us. And it's a really short book so it's easy to get through and for me everything in it is just like common sense that you didn't already know you read it and you're like oh yeah that makes total sense and i want to start doing that but i hadn't thought of it like that before so i'd say those three books to just give a random smattering of what i'm into and what i like excellent now <clears throat> i want to kind of give you the opportunity right now uh to talk about because you have your own podcast uh, we're on a podcast. And before we started our conversation today, Gregory, we were kind of 
talking about how I got into podcasting. You had asked me that. And we were talking about just how much we love podcasting. Right. So um, the latter part of that question that I didn't ask is, you know, what's your favorite book or podcast? Um, so I want you just to talk a little bit because I before we get into, into the depths of your story, I want to talk a little bit about podcasting, not me, but I want to give you the opportunity to talk about podcasting. So what's your podcast? Uh, what's it all about? And then why podcasting for you? Because you told me, as I told you before we started this conversation, that we are both pretty confident we never see ourselves giving up podcasting or, or stop having a podcast of, of ourselves. Right. So uh, that's a pretty pr profound, you know, strong statement for, for both of us. So what's your podcast? Why podcasting? The floor is yours. My podcast is called the dare to dream podcast. And it's all about challenging people to embark on the adventure of their lives. That is how it started with me and one of my best friends. We both quit our jobs in corporate America and wanted to start a podcast to give an honest and unfiltered look into what it's like to step away from the nine to five, to follow our hearts, to follow the thing that lights our soul on fire, to really find that, to find our passion. And we wanted to document the process and we wanted to talk to other people who had done it before. We wanted to talk to people who had lived a story worth telling, full of challenges, full of hardship, full of self-doubt. We wanted to get into the nitty gritty of the hard parts and also talk about the success and what success meant to them, but really just the hero's journey and that story, because that's what we were setting out to do ourselves. And we've had the podcast for, I think it's going to be three years in June. Yeah, it'll be three years because we started in June of 2020. Mm. And it's just been a beautiful evolution. We did 30 episodes, just us. Then we started doing guests. We did guests for a while. Then it was kind of back to just us because Vinny moved to Japan and we were trying to figure out how do we keep this going, the two of us. And I think we're about to enter a new chapter of the podcast too, moving forward. But that's what it's about. It's all about dreams. It's all about having the courage to live the life true to yourself, not the life others expect of you. And it's been a beautiful journey. And I think to answer the second part of the question, the reason I love podcasting so much and I don't think I'll ever stop is because of the human connection piece. You get to have long form, uninterrupted conversations with amazing people. They're doing interesting things. You're learning about their passions, what they're up to. They're inspiring you. And it's not often, especially in today's day and age, that you get to have an hour to an hour and a half of deep conversation. No one's checking their phone in the middle of it. There's no interruptions. And just like we're having now, Quentin, like we get to ask each other deep questions that normally we would have to be friends for, I don't know, a year to ask. And you just get to get straight into it. You're like, all right, tell me about your biggest failure, the self-doubt, all the stuff. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful way to connect, to learn, to grow. And it's also tons of fun. I love it. I hated hearing my voice at the beginning of my podcast journey. And now I like it. I like being able to express my thoughts more clearly. I think that's another huge benefit. For the longest time, I would have these thoughts and emotions and I couldn't quite put language to them. And now I'm at least better. I wouldn't, I'm definitely not perfect at it, but I can articulate more of what I'm thinking and feeling. And it's really, it's really 
fulfilling when you're able to do that and someone else can receive it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. We could, we could have an entire podcast conversation about podcasting. I'm, yeah. I'm sure of it. I, I could go off right now for about 15 straight minutes, but I, I don't <laughs> want to do that. We'll, we'll uh, save that for another time. Now, um, kind of transitioning into another question here uh, in terms of uh, conversational starter questions, uh, Gregory. Uh, the question is, what life lesson have you been taught or learned in the last year? And please, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident you're the in type of individual because you are passionate about uh, self-growth and personal growth and all that. You, you've probably learned a life lesson within the last week or maybe month. Uh, that's just, it's kind of a generic question with the last year, but within recent times, what's kind of a life lesson, or if there's a couple of them you want to share, go for it, uh, that you've uh, been taught or you've learned. Perfect. I'll use this question to share a little more about something I missed in the last one, which was the podcast I like listening to. There's a podcast called Modern Wisdom. It's done by Chris Williamson that I absolutely adore. I love it because he is, like yourself, following his innate curiosity. He has no niche. He talks to whoever he wants to talk to. And a life lesson that I've learned both from his podcast, and then I'll talk about how within the past couple of weeks, I've learned it on a personal level, is the difference between stated and revealed preferences. Uh, more layman's terminology for that is people often say they want certain things when in reality they want something completely different. So Chris Williamson talks about on the podcast, there's tons of research that shows if you ask people, especially sexual preferences in regards to men and women or job preferences, like what do you, what do you want? They'll say they want one thing. And then when the survey is anonymous, they'll say something else. So there's a discrepancy between what people are comfortable sharing they want and their true desires. Mm. And this feels powerful to share because recently I've started to notice that with people's dreams. Mm. So I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I'm currently on a mission to have 100 conversations with people about their biggest dreams by July 31st. And one thing that I'm noticing and I'm just at the beginning of this journey, I've had nine hour long conversations so far, is that a lot of times when I ask people their biggest dream, they tell me something that sounds nice. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to write a book. I'd love to give a TED talk, but it's not actually what they want. And the lesson I've learned is that the lesson I've learned and the way I know that it's not what they want is because they don't take action on it. If you really want something, if it's such a desire that it maybe moves from a want to a need, like this thing I need to do, my soul is telling me to do, you're going to find a way to do it. You're going to motivate yourself. You're going to hire someone to motivate with you. It's it's this shift from just wanting something to needing it. And there's a big difference. And I think a key component in all of this is that, and what I'm learning is, Wants are around the the positive emotions of excitement, of adventure. Uh, they're sexy and fun to talk about. Needs are a lot more around pain and pain avoidance, either what we're running towards or running away from. And I'm realizing that as I coach people around their biggest dream, if we don't tap into the pain, if we don't get to the core issue, the the root cause of what's really motivating you, there won't be enough activation energy to go out and do the scary thing, to pursue the dream, to maybe fail. And so 
that's that's the lesson I'm learning is that to get clear on people's dreams, you actually have to go into the darkness. You have to wade through the darkness to get to the light, find the pain and find the reason why if nothing changes, bad things are going to happen when they get to the end of their life and have regrets. Mm. Now, I find that very fascinating, Gregory. Now, uh, is a component of this as well, and it sounds like you're 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 just in the process of learning this yourself, right? But as you talk to other people about you know their their biggest dreams and 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 you're going on this adventure yourself, is a component of this, uh, you know, quote unquote, doing the work, because like you said, you just said about like going into the darkness, right? And we talked about meditation, being still, being quiet, like facing the reality of who we really are, our, our, our past, the past traumas, like all, all this stuff that the settling that we've, we've done in our lives. Um, so it is a component of this also uh, just the fear of uh, maybe doing the work and doing the hard things to get to what they really want and the dreams that they really want for, for themselves and their, their, their uh, families. Yes, that's a huge component of it. Going for your dream is one of the scariest things you can ever do because you have to tell the world what it is you really want. And if you fail at that, you're failing at the thing that is most core to you. That's the thing that lights you up. And so it's terrifying. And a lot of people choose to think about it, to talk about it, but to never actually go for it because they're scared of the sacrifice, the work that's required. And yes, the fear holds people back. And that's why it's so important to tap into the need and the pain because you're going to need a lot of fuel coming from somewhere to overcome the obstacles that make it challenging. Excellent. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Mm. I am a lover of quotes. So many quotes. But what I'm going to go with today, and I'm smiling because recently it became even more important to me is a personal mantra and it's live a story worth telling mm. it's so important to me i'm smiling because when i went to japan i was telling you about this before the podcast i recently just got back from a two-week trip in japan my podcast co-host and i Vinny, he's also one of my best friends we got this phrase tattooed on our arm mm. i got mine in english his in japanese and it's live a story worth telling. This doesn't mean to go out and live this grandiose life that looks cool, that sounds cool for other people. It's to live a story worth telling, worth telling to yourself. And we'll get into this a little more when I talk about my story and my evolution, but I am highly inspired and motivated by regrets, especially end of life regret. And the number one regret people have when they get to the end of their life is I wish I would have had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expect of me. And when I heard that for the first time, it punched me in the face because I realized that I was not living a life true to myself. It was all based on other people's expectations or even worse, what I thought other people wanted, but they didn't actually want. And so this live a story worth telling is a personal reminder to me to make sure that I'm living my own authentic life. And it's also a huge motivator and something called a commitment device. So you might be familiar, but I'll just explain it for the listeners. A commitment device is something that you do in the present moment that locks in a future action. And so for me, 
getting this tattooed on my arm is a commitment device, meaning that I can never, I can never not do the scary, bold, exciting thing. Because if I'm ever like, ah, do I go talk to that cute girl over there? Do I say yes to this scary speaking opportunity? I just look down at my arm and I'm like, okay, live a story worth telling. And another kind of facet of that mantra for myself is to live a life as if you're the protagonist in a superhero movie. This is not an original thought, it came from someone else. But like, ask yourself, when you're in that situation, what would Peter Parker do? What would Clark Kent do? No one wants to watch a movie where the main character is on the bus and they don't go speak to the cute girl or they don't step up and fight the bad guy. And so it's constant. It's a constant reminder to live my life as if I'm the superhero, I'm the protagonist, and to just take bold, inspired action. Because ultimately, that's how you're going to get to where you want to go. And you'll have this epic story to tell yourself along the way. Mm, okay. So that's a great transition, Gregory, to uh, just kind of start diving into your story, the uh, the 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 origin of of your uh, story. This is one of the favorite components of podcast conversations for me personally. Is uh, you know just getting into the the backstory, the back history of of the guest. So um, please tell us, Gregory, like where you actually grew up, um, what part of the world, what part of the country. Um, paint the picture for us a little bit in regards to your your childhood, your upbringing. Uh, your your family life, your family environment. Uh, did you play sports? Uh, were you a musician? Uh, what was school like? Just kind of like, again, paint that picture um, as in-depth as you would like to go up to about high school. Stop at like the high school uh, uh, range because I've got some questions that kind of transition us uh, from that point, okay? Fantastic. And I like that we are slowing down a bit because I usually start my story post-college that's when I tell people my life started getting exciting. So this will be a cool experience. I don't think I've really talked about the beginning years much. So I was born in Newport Beach, California, but we moved to Bend, Oregon when I was three. So I grew up in Bend, which is quite a popular place these days. It's a very outdoorsy mountain town. There's tons of breweries. There's mountain biking, hiking, kayaking, stand-up paddleboarding pretty much any outdoor sport you could want to do during the summer. And then in the winter, we live 30 minutes away from Mount Bachelor. So skiing, snowboarding, all the fun winter sports. And of course, growing up there, I hated it because I was an angsty little teenager. But now it's such a blessing to be able to go back and visit my parents. In the summer, it's beautiful. In the winter, it's amazing with the skiing. And I think it formed a bit of who I am today because we had the seasons. I did lots of sports. I played soccer competitively my whole life, traveling, club, high school. I did a lot of sports, mountain biking, skateboarding, wakeboarding, surfing. I've always been really into sports and moving my body and especially being outside. I think it growing up in Bend really instilled a love of nature in me and I've also realized that I'm not a city person. I lived in San Francisco for a year after college and it was just this constant low-grade anxiety of never having a place to park, always being crowded and the whole city kind of smelling like urine. Mm -hmm. So 
now that I'm in San Diego, North County, I love it. Cool. Okay. Now, uh, talk to me a little bit about, uh, your, your parents. Um, what did they do professionally? What was your relationship like with your parents? Do you have any siblings? Uh, and then, uh, and then I'll ask you a few more questions about the earlier years. I came from a family with so much love. Mm. I've had an amazing childhood so good that I've actually felt guilt for it at times in my adult life because I didn't have a lot of involuntary adversity to overcome growing up, which we'll get into in a little bit is why I'm somewhat obsessed with voluntary adversity and seeking voluntary discomfort. But parents are amazing. I have an older sister who's the best. We are close. She's two years older than me. My mom was a fourth grade teacher and my dad worked at a tungsten manufacturing plant. They make like dense metal objects like saw blades and the ball and seat for oil drills, but just so much love in my family. I don't have anything negative to say. The only thing that I, th that I think of in terms of my upbringing that was something I've worked through is that everything was just always positive all the time. We weren't a family that talked about our emotions. I've never seen my parents fight ever. And so that turned into me thinking, oh yeah, emotions are these things that you just sweep under the rug. And especially growing up, you know, as a dude, you kind of get taught that emotions aren't for us. I'm never going to cry. I'm never going to feel things. And you just shove it down. And then when I started my journey of working on myself, doing the work, the inner growth, and especially becoming a coach, I started, I realized that I didn't really know how to deal with emotions and my emotional intelligence was pretty low. So that was a piece of the journey for me is learning how to do all of that. I'm trying to think what other aspects did you mention? Uh, why don't you touch on academics? What was school like for you? Did you enjoy school? Did you go just to play sports? I'm assuming because your mom was a teacher, there was some level of expectation to get quote unquote good grades. So touch on that, Gregory, please. Yeah, I love that question. I think that's important. I have always loved school because I love learning so much. I would say I'm one of the few people who made it through school without having that innate curiosity crushed by public school systems, which is really sad. We can get into that later. But I've always loved school. I've always loved learning. I got really, really good grades. I didn't get anything less than an A until college. So was a high achiever, was really pushing myself at all times to achieve and get good grades. And yet in the midst of all of that, I like joking around and saying that I was like Harry Potter in the wrong place at the wrong time. I got in trouble in high school a couple different times for partying and I think it actually had a pretty profound impact on me. So junior year, I got in trouble for drinking too much at a party and then the school got involved, which was just a nightmare. And then senior year, probably the height of my stupidity, I was varsity team captain mm -hmm. and me and the other varsity team captain got kicked off of the soccer team during playoffs for drinking at a school dance, mm -hmm. just being idiots. And that was a really, really hard time for me, both like with my parents, like we had a pretty rocky relationship for a bit because they were like, what are you doing with your life? And like the school administration 
kept telling me that I'm an alcoholic, even though like I've never had a problem. I don't even, I barely drink now, which is funny. So it was a lot of reflection on what I was doing, why I was doing it. And it sucked. Like it was really hard to go through, especially in high school. I think that really informed who I am today. And I have a lot of empathy for what people go through, even if it's self-imposed stupidity like myself. Okay. Now, uh, in regards to, I, I mean, obviously you, you played a lot of sports and when I was growing up in small town, Iowa, sports was everything for me. Uh, and for most of us, uh, here in, here in, uh, this small town, but, um, and so my point is for me, uh, sports was my identity. I went to school, uh, so I could play sports. Quentin was known as, you know, this guy that lifted a lot of weight in the weight room at the gym. Uh, and he was an athlete. So there was this identity that I, I, you know, uh, attached myself to, and I'm not going to get too much into my story, but after I was done playing football in college, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back and reflecting now as an adult, once I was done playing football in college, I literally went through an identity crisis. Some of the hardest, darkest times of my life was when I was done playing sports because that's all I knew. That was my identity, right? So the question I want to pose to you, Gregory, is um, was sports your identity, uh, you know, in those teen years when you were growing up? Uh, did you find your identity somewhere else? Where did you kind of uh, put yourself in terms of a category or label uh, or what would people label you when you were younger, uh, if, if that makes sense? That makes perfect sense. My answer is going to be a bit different because all of high school and all of college, I was trying on different identities and I was getting really, really good at being a social chameleon. It's a double-edged sword because I'm really good at assimilating into any group. I can make friends with anyone. I can kind of talk the talk and walk the walk. But I felt like I was always wearing a mask, trying to be, I would say trying and successfully being a popular kid. Like I was very popular in high school, in college, sort of. I don't know. In college, like no one cares as much. And this plays a big part in it because I wouldn't say there was a specific identity I had, like sports guy or skier or any of the things. It was always trying to please other people by wearing all of these masks. And that was, we'll, we'll get into the the darkness like you talked about. That was the piece when I was at rock bottom is realizing that I actually didn't know who I was. Actually, I knew who I was, but I wasn't showing it. I was always wearing a mask to try and fit in, to try and be who I thought my friends wanted me to be. So no specific identity that I was attached to that I had to let go of. It was more of the sad realization of, holy shit, I've been living my whole life based on other people's expectations and not what I actually want. Mm, okay. Last question pertaining to kind of like the childhood, younger years, and then we're going to transition into post high school. Um, did you grow up uh, being exposed to any type of religion or spirituality uh, in terms of like your your home environment or going to church or youth group or anything like that? If so, or if not, just touch on that for a minute. And did that have any impact on you in terms of your uh, upbringing? I would say I grew up very loosely Christian. I went to Sunday school when I was younger. 
But the moment I was old enough to have my own opinion about Sunday school and organized church and organized religion, I was pretty anti. I would rebel against my mom and say, this is dumb. I don't want to go. I don't want to go sing and have someone tell me all these things that I don't necessarily believe in. So pretty quickly, I stopped going to church. My my parents aren't, I would say they also identify as loosely Christian, which is interesting because my dad grew up Christian science. And Christian science is this pretty intense religion that they believe in Western medicine, but they don't use it. And so they believe in the power of God to keep them healthy, keep them safe, to heal themselves. But my dad's mom passed away before I was born when he was in his 30s from breast cancer. And I think that really shook him because he felt like Western medicine could have helped, could have prolonged her life, could have maybe saved her life. So he didn't want to raise us in that religion. And like, he's never been, it, it seems like he's never really looked back at that. He's never held it too strongly. So not a, not a ton of religion, you know, a little basis and values and the 10 commandments and all that stuff, but not strong on the religion front. And then as I've grown up, it's been interesting. I was like very atheist for a while. And then in my like mid twenties, the past couple of years, I've been exploring a lot of different religions, uh, Buddhism, Christianity, which I would say are like the top two. I mean, Taoism is really cool. I don't really know how to practice that as more of a religion. And where I've settled now is not, not knowing for sure. Yeah. I don't love organized religion because I don't love telling other people telling me what to do. And that was kind of like a theme of growing up. Like I would, I would always ask questions and be like, why is it like this? Why is it like that? I think that's why I'm a coach now it's because I love asking questions. But kind of where I've, where I've settled with everything is that I believe there's some sort of benevolent force behind it all, guiding it. Uh, but I don't attribute it to a specific Christian God, a Hindu God, a Buddhist God. And I'm okay with realizing that a lot of life is meaningless in that we get to choose our meaning we're meaning making machines we get to decide what is good and bad and excites us and the more you can find meaning in what you're doing i think the better off you are okay all right uh so you graduate high school um you've you've already mentioned college gregory so uh what was life like for you after high school? Uh, what did you study in college? What was your college experience? Um, and then we'll kind of get into uh, post-college after you uh, share that a little bit. Perfect. I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California. It's like Central California. And I studied business administration with a concentration in finance. I had an incredible finance teacher who... If anyone listening has seen the movie Whiplash and you think of the really sadistic band teacher in it who is terrible and great at the same time, that was kind of like my finance teacher. He was so hard. He was so scary. You just wanted to impress him and get it right and have him like you. And his classes were so challenging. That's what really attracted me to them. That was the first time I realized that I love challenges I love pushing myself to the limit and seeing what I'm made of. So I studied finance. My overall college experience was fantastic. I grew up in a small mountain town. I never thought I would be in a fraternity. 
I went and checked out some of the fraternities and most of them I really didn't like. Mm -hmm. Yet there was one that was pretty antithetical to what I thought fraternities were like. It was just a bunch of dudes who seemed really chill, a lot of surfers. And I ended up joining that fraternity and it was amazing because it gave me the core group of guy friends that I went through college with. I'm big on healthy masculinity and having your boys to just hang out with, to connect with. Um, so it gave me a really good group of friends and the whole college experience was really, really positive. And yet I was doing the whole trying on different masks, trying to prove myself, trying to fit in and be someone who I wasn't. And it's funny to look back on because my friends would give me shit. I mean, we all in the fraternity, especially like having thick skin was really important. We'd all make fun of each other all the time, which I think is such a powerful skill to learn. The ability to make fun of yourself is so important. But people would always call me soft. I'd always be like, oh, you're so soft. Like you can't even drink as much as us, all this thing. And it it riled me up so much. I'd be like, I'm not soft. Like I'm a shotgun all these beers and prove to you. And now like someone calls me soft and I'm like, yeah, like maybe you might be right. Like I'm going to bed at 9 p.m. on a Friday because I'm going to feel great tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So when I reflect on that, it's like something was not right with me deep down when someone's words could trigger me that much. So it was a really fun, positive experience. I love Cal Poly. I wouldn't change a single thing about it. And looking back, it's like, oh, that was that was part of the journey. I had to kind of lose myself in college to then refine myself and figure out what I wanted. Mm. And a big part of how college influenced my my journey was I thought that working in private equity was my dream. That's what I wanted. My senior project was doing a CFA valuation competition. And I thought buying and selling businesses, evaluating them, working in Excel all day long, every day, I thought that's what I wanted. And then when I got there, that's when the wheels started to fall off. And I realized that I was sorely mistaken. What uh, moment or moments or, or what was the point where you realized that okay, I'm pursuing this college degree, this, this education, and this is what I thought I wanted, but I don't think it is what I wanted because I think there's a lot of scary anxiousness within that realization. And I think the majority of humans, because of the fear, because of the anxiousness, because of the unknown, because of the, the hard road that lies ahead, they just continue in that direction. They settle and and they live the lives that you and I don't want to live. So was there a moment? Were there a few moments? When was that realization? When was that light bulb moment for you in terms of this isn't what I want? And then I'm assuming this is going to kind of transition into post-college and, and what I'm going to call uh, the beginnings of your awakening. So why don't you kind of start transitioning us into the, the awakening, into the, the unmasking, if you don't mind, I really want to get into the depths of, of this. So when was that light bulb moment? And then just transition it how you kind of want to in, into your uh, story there, Gregory. I would say there were multiple moments along the way that didn't feel like light bulb moments. I really wanted, once I started coming to terms with the fact that I was unhappy with finance, with my first job, I wanted that lightning bolt moment where suddenly 
I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm inspired. My passion finds me and I'm ready to set out on my adventure. But it wasn't like that at all. I tell people that I had two existential life crises before the age of 25, which is a few too many. The first came after college. So college was great. Graduated, thought I was on the right path, started work again, thought I was on the right path, and then slowly started to realize I wasn't. First existential crisis was working as an auditor, realizing that, oh, this isn't finance like they sold it to me. It's accounting and auditing, and I don't like this. Let me go pursue finance and work in private equity because that's what I actually want. First existential crisis was working 50 hours as an auditor, studying 30 hours a week for the CFA, which is this big financial test. I studied 428 hours for it. Just put so much pressure on myself, so much. I was I was really being a martyr when I look back at it because I was like, this is it. This is my ticket out of auditing into finance. So those were some of the worst, worst months of my life, but really formed my character. One of my favorite quotes is character like a photograph develops in the darkness. And you mentioned your dark period. We may, we might not get to it on this podcast, but I definitely want to hear more about that because I'm, I'm fascinated by people's dark periods because that's when they find who they are, who they're meant to be, who they can become. There's so much gold in there. So first existential crisis, quitting my job and auditing, moving into finance, which was a relatively easy pitch to my parents, to everyone else. Cause it's like, oh yeah, like I'm actually just going to go do the thing I want. Like, yeah, I'm quitting my first job out of college after a year, which doesn't look great, but it's because I know what I want to do and I want to do this thing, which is private equity. So that brings me to San Diego. I start working at this private equity real estate investment firm and I love it. The people are great. It's a cool company, great culture. Uh, the work is challenging. I'm enjoying it. And it was good for about a year. And then I started getting the same feelings of what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? I'm sitting behind a computer all day, every day in Excel, doing financial modeling to make money for multimillionaires. Like, what is the point? Am I really making anyone's life better? And again, like my coworkers were amazing. I live in San Diego. My CEO is funny and kind, but I started really feeling sad and depressed. I felt like my life didn't have any meaning. There was no inspiration. I was feeling really unfulfilled. And that's when I started to think, oh man, this is it. Like this is the point where I either make a change before I have kids, before I have a significant other, before I have a house and a mortgage and all the things. I either make a change now or I wake up one day that feels like tomorrow and I'm 55. I've been working in finance for 30 years and I just look around and I ask myself like, what happened? When did I settle? And like, that's a huge part of my story is my biggest fear has been and always will be settling for a life that I don't actually want because it's easy, because it's safe, because it's secure. And so when I decided to leave my job in finance, that was a much harder conversation. I remember going to my parents and saying, all right, guys, we've been through this before, but this time, instead of knowing what I'm doing next, I actually have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing next. And like, that is part of the plan. I just feel this deep in my soul that I'm supposed to surrender to the unknown and see what happens next. And like my dad, who's been a rational, logical businessman his whole life was 
he was supportive, but he definitely had questions. And it was a point of tension for a bit. And what's what's interesting is the moment that I decided that I actually didn't need their approval or acceptance, I was going to do it regardless because I knew I was going to be okay financially. The moment I stopped trying to get them to approve of it and just said, I'm doing this, it's happening. Like that's the moment that they got on board. Mm. And a big, a big piece of this, when I look back now, like, I guess, I guess it's a light bulb moment now. It didn't feel like it in the moment, but it was actually the first time I went to Japan. I'm in Japan on this two week trip with eight of my best friends from college. We're having a great time. And about midway through the trip, we go out in Tokyo and we go to a karaoke place. It's actually called a karaoke hotel. They have hundreds of private little karaoke rooms. Three hours, all you can drink. Things got rowdy. The night ends with me literally standing on a table. I think I was mixing Red Bull and beer, which is a questionable combo. And I wake up the next morning and I am so hungover. I'm so hungover that I can't even leave the hostel. And so they all go out and do something. I essentially crawl to the cafe and order some green tea. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast, which is another one I love. And I'm listening to him interview a woman named Bronnie Ware. She's an Australian author and she's telling her story about how she worked as an end of life caregiver. And over the course of all of her time, she interviewed 500 of her patients on their deathbed. And it turns out that not only do most people have some pretty serious end of life regret, but that we all have the same regrets. And she compiled them into a book. It's called the top five regrets of the dying. It is fantastic. I recommend either reading it or just Googling the top five regrets of the dying. And I'll repeat it. I said it before. I'll repeat it because it's so powerful. The number one regret people have at the end of their life is, I wish I would have had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. And I'm in that hostile cafe, so hungover. And this quote just punches me in the face. In that moment, I realized I hate drinking. Like it makes me feel so bad. And I was very into my health and wellness journey by that point. So I realized like this is working in the exact opposite direction of my goals and everything that I want to accomplish. I'm only doing it because my friends like Party Greg. They want that or that's what I think they want. So I realized I'm, I'm still drinking and I hate it. And now I'm hungover and I can't even enjoy Japan. I think about my job and how it sucks and I feel so unfulfilled and how I've been in this state of knowing that I needed to quit but not quitting because I was too scared for about six months. So in that moment, I made the decision I was going to go. It was 2019, end of 2019. I made the decision I was going to go all of 2020 sober and I was going to quit my job in finance during 2020. And the third piece of that was that I was going to finally pursue my dream, which I didn't know what it was yet, but I knew it had to do with helping people. And I knew it had to do something with the personal development wellness realm, because that's just what brought me so much joy. Mm-hmm. And so that I tell people that was my rock bottom moment. And that is what led me. That is the, that is the pain we talked about before the podcast or actually on the podcast yeah. that you need the pain to have that activation energy. It was that low point that gave me the courage to move forward and to actually do something about it instead of just talking about it. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Gregory, before we kind of transition more in depth into, uh, you know, uh, this, this, uh, I'll call it a journey for a lack of a better 
terminology that you started at kind of at that point, that low point, and you're on right now. Let's talk about service because this goes back into uh, the S of uh, uh, your uh, morning routine, the last one, service. Now, uh, a quote that uh, you know I like to use or, or a phrase that I like to say is, service is purpose. From uh, from my perspective and from what I believe, uh, everybody will find their purpose within some sort of service, right? I believe that we were created uh, to serve others, to love others, to help others. I believe service is in our DNA. That's my personal belief. So I believe if somebody is like, hey, I want to do this, this is a, a goal of mine or a dream, and there's some sort of service within that, there's some sort of helping uh, serve uh, other human beings, then I believe that they're at least moving in the right direction, right? Uh, so in terms of service, because that's what you kind of said, I, I, I had this, I had something inside of me, I didn't really know what I was going to pursue, but I wanted to help others, aka service, right? And service is this, uh, you know, part of your morning routine, reaching out to somebody, sending a podcast, uh, an encouraging text or whatever. So just expound a little bit more on the on the importance of service for you. But maybe just uh, if you do agree in terms of service being purpose, uh, talk a little bit about or expound a little bit more on what I kind of shared in terms of like how I believe all of our purpose is found in some sort of service. So um, touch on that if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll start by saying that I think you're right. I agree with you. I think we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We all want to feel like we are positively contributing to the lives of others. That's one of my filters at the very top. I have a couple. One of them is, are you enjoying your life? Because if you're not enjoying your life, what's the point? Like you get to the end of it and you're like, damn, I wasted this whole opportunity. Another filter that I put everything through is, Will it positively impact the lives of others? It's so important. And I think we all know deep down that it's not just about us. Like when you hear about people who are really passionate, even if it's a solo endeavor like writing or painting, it's usually twofold. Like there is the selfish or let's not say selfish, the you-centric part of it that's like, you need to sit down and write this to express yourself, but it's usually because you want to share these ideas with the world. You want to inspire or impact or change other people. So I think you're on the right track with service and how you can find your purpose in service. And that gets me thinking about my own purpose. I spent the five years after college trying so hard to find my purpose, to find what it is that lit me on fire. And it turns out that the very process I was using to find my purpose was actually my purpose. Mm. So the personal development, the reading, the learning, the teaching, the coaching, and helping other people find what makes them come alive and what their biggest dream is, and then how to actually go do something about it, that's my purpose. Mm. So I tell people that my mission in life is to help them achieve their biggest dreams and live a story worth telling. Mm. It's it's all about other people for me. Yeah. It's all about other people. And yet to help those other people, I need to help myself. Mm. I'm a huge proponent of self-care and the whole fill your own cup so you can pour into others. You can't pour from an empty cup. I really struggle with 
too much sacrifice and like that martyr energy where uh, I have to remind my clients a lot of times they'll they'll be burning themselves out to try and help other people. But it's if you burn yourself out, you're you're done. You can't help these other people. And so I'm huge on service. I'm huge on serving yourself first so that you can go and serve others. And to kind of just bring everything together, I think it's really wise of you to share that if you're trying to find your purpose, look to service, look to the ways that you innately love to help people. What are the ways that fire you up when interacting with others? Whether for me, like I said, it's like my love language is sharing resources. Um, I, I was always the guy when I still worked in the corporate world, I was always the guy at lunch talking to someone about a podcast or this weird health experiment I was trying or this just whatever new thing in the health realm. So you can kind of find clues to your purpose and to what you're innately interested in and then thinking about how can you help other people with that. And I, I think I'll say last thing on it is what are the things that you love talking about? The things that you love talking about that you could talk about for hours that when you start talking about them, like you use your hands and your voice changes and you get all excited. That's usually some indication of what lights you up. And especially now with technology and just this world we live in, I think there's endless ways to serve other people, to take your passion and find your super, it can be super unique niche to help people. And I'm excited because I, I think we're trending towards a world where less people work for big corporate entities and more people do their own thing, helping others in their own way. Hmm. Do you feel like, uh, Gregory, uh, you know, I don't know how old you are, but uh, I'm 35. So, uh, you know, I think we probably grew up somewhat in, in a similar generation. Uh, but do you feel like people our age, because, you know, you you hear people all the time talking about purpose, right? And and I think it's kind of like my generation down where it's like, we got we got to find our purpose because I'm the exact same way, man. Like when you're talking, I, 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 I hear I hear a lot of myself because I'm I'm all about purpose. I'm all about you know, pursuing your passion and, and, and just, you know, going after all, all the stuff, doing the work, but you feel like maybe for some people, or maybe for all of us, sometimes there's too much pressure in that. Like when, when somebody says like, go chase after your, your, uh, your, your, your dreams, like even for me saying that it, there seems to be, there, there can be a lot of pressure in that. How do we how do we lessen the pressure or how do we break that down into uh, uh, smaller bites so that we are pursuing the life that we want to live and we are pursuing the things that that we want to pursue pursuing the the dreams that we have deep within our our heart and our soul um, how can we make that into into smaller chunks so it's not quote unquote overwhelming Yes, that is a very important question because. Finding your purpose has become such a cliche. It's such a buzzword now. And as I mentioned, those five years when I was trying to find my purpose, when I wanted that lightning bolt moment and it wasn't coming, I was really bummed. I had all this pressure on myself. I felt like I should know what I want to do. And it's really hard to figure out what you think your purpose is. And the best way to take a lot of that pressure away and to really chunk it down is to realize that you don't need to find your ultimate life purpose. Just find your purpose for now or for the next week or for the next month. If your purpose 
and let's like like honestly let's throw out the word purpose right now if your happiness or well-being or just the chapter of your life right now is focused on health then just be there and sit with that and then you know maybe down the road it'll shift into more like fulfillment um i have a lot of friends who are working corporate jobs they're doing great they're making lots of money and their focus right now is just it's almost like that is covering certain bases but it's not it's not touching the purpose fulfillment category so they get super into fitness like they train for ironmans they do all of these events so to take the pressure off just realize that your purpose is going to change a lot throughout your life too maybe there's there's parts of it that are core that stay the same but it's going to change you don't have to find it all at once you can just niche it down to okay how could i make my life a little better this week maybe 1% better next week uh james clear has the thing where if you're 1% better every day for a year that's like 38 times better by the end of the year so just doing that and taking the pressure off and then also what really helps me and vinny and i talk about this a lot on our podcast is it's really important to have an aim to have some aim that you're aiming at like some idea of potentially where you might want to go right so it doesn't have to be super concrete but then let go of how you're going to get there let go of the plan let go of the roadmap because if i've learned anything on my journey it's that you have absolutely no idea how things are going to unfold they're going to unfold better than you could possibly imagine if you're pursuing the right thing the thing that really lights you up and it's okay to not know like i meet with so many people who say i don't know what my dream is and that that question used to terrify me and now i love it it's like okay let's roll up the sleeve let's get in there together let's explore things that might be part of your purpose mm-hmm. and so that's the piece about how to take the pressure off and also like oh man one of my biggest goals in life is to take myself less seriously i have these two sides to myself one is really intense and serious and i don't love it it's really good for getting things done but i try and live in this more playful side where everything's lighter because i think going through life should be more of a dance than this death march and going back to naval ravikant who wrote that or the book the almanac of naval ravikant is about him one of his quotes is don't take yourself too seriously you're just a monkey with a plan so i love that one another quote is don't take life too seriously you'll never make it out alive like things like that are just these little reminders to take it less seriously and then i do want to touch on one last thing it's that our generation seems so much more focused on fulfillment and finding our purpose than our parents and that's absolutely true and i think it's true for two reasons one is that i think because of the prolonged peace we've had there's been less war the quality of life has increased especially if we live if you live in america we have the opportunity now we're moving up maslow's hierarchy of needs and we're moving into self actualization which i think is such a positive thing whenever older generations say oh this is ridiculous like we didn't think about this when when i was a kid i say yeah you're right because the environment you grew up in you didn't have those basic needs met and you didn't have the opportunity so i think it's really positive the direction we're moving in where more people get to make a living doing something they love and the second piece just speaking to the environment you grew up in like it makes perfect sense my grandpa fought in world war 2 as a tank commander 
if you would tell me that I would have to go fight in a war in a war like World War II, uh, that I'd make it through it. And then after I had the option to, you know, go sit in a safe, comfortable office, no one's shooting at me and just climb the corporate ladder. Like that sounds fantastic when the alternative was war. But for us, it's just a whole different paradigm. Like we haven't had to worry about those things and we've had the opportunities to move up again on the hierarchy of needs and focus on passion and purpose and fulfillment. And then last thing I'll say on it, there's a lot of thinkers that I respect that talk about don't don't try and find your passion. And I think on one hand, that's that's good advice because it can be overwhelming. But on the other hand, it's like, give it a shot. Like we only have one go at this big adventure called life. And I would hate to waste it grinding away at something that isn't going to fill me up. Excellent points. Um, we're going to, we're going to start heading towards the finish line, but I, I want to get into a little bit more here with you, Gregor, if you don't mind. So um, you, you, I want to kind of get into you. You're at this, this bottom point, you're over in Japan, you get, wasted and you hear this podcast uh with tim ferris and you know whether in that moment or later on you realize that was some sort of a light bulb moment that was a, a shift for you or a realization for you so from that point you get back stateside can you kind of like finish up your story in terms of where did you go from that point like where did you go in terms of the the self uh improvement or the self-help uh, how did you actually find out like, Hey, I, I want to do this coaching thing. And, and, and what is life coaching? Because I've had several life coaches on this podcast specifically. Um, and again, that's kind of like, a some terminology out there that's thrown around pretty, pretty loosely. Like you go on Instagram and there's 10 bazillion life coaches self-proclaimed. Uh, so kind of finish that question slash statement that I just, uh, made with like, what is life coaching? Like what's, what's the deal with all that? Yeah. Let me speak to the life coaching piece real quick. And then I'll wrap the story up. Hmm. Everyone and their mom seems to be a coach these days, specifically a life coach. So there's a couple of distinctions to make to become a life coach or a coach. You don't need any training. And that's why getting trained professionally is so important. Hmm. So I, honestly have moved away from the term life coach. And I normally tell people I'm a professional coach who helps people achieve their biggest dreams. The professional piece is important. I have done training, extensive training to get certified by this big uh, coaching federation called the International Coaching Federation. They're the gold standard in coaching and they certify programs that you go through. And then you also take a test to pass and you become a certified coach. So that's a key component, but let me finish the story and like some of these pieces will fall together. So I get back from Japan and I decide I'm actually going to do it. June 26 of 2020 was going to be my last day. And this is the best example I can point to. It was the first example and it's happened over and over again. When you take off the mask, when you have the courage to say, this is what I want, this is who I want to be. And you start taking steps towards it. That is when the magic happens. That's why I believe that there is this benevolent force, this universe, this God, whatever you want to call it, that is behind the scenes helping you, conspiring to make your life better. Because every time in my life I've done that, I've leaned more into who I am authentically and what I'm aligned with. That's when crazy things happen. So 
I decide I'm going to quit. I put my two weeks in. During those two weeks, I get introduced to a stranger on the internet who I end up starting a nonprofit with. So about six days after I quit my job, I'm deciding to co-found a nonprofit with this man I met on the internet. He is just so aligned. Our missions are identical. We have so many similar interests. We're both in San Diego. So we start this nonprofit that is all around bringing professional leadership coaching and evidence-based personal development to underserved high school students. So it's through building this nonprofit, which I did for a year and a half, that I was introduced to coaching. I was introduced to the International Coaching Federation because we partnered with them. And I learned that I love coaching. I don't love nonprofit management. I don't love fundraising. And so I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do next. I told my CEO I was going to start my own personal development company just because I was too embarrassed to tell him I didn't know what was next. And again, it goes back to, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I took that mask off. And that's when I started attracting the people I was supposed to meet. These opportunities came out of nowhere. And that is what led me to coaching, fell in love with it, did the nonprofit for a year and a half, and then decided, oh, it's actually the coaching piece. Mm -hmm. So in January of 2022, I was like, okay, I'm going to go all in on coaching, writing, and podcasting, the things that light me up the most. And that's where the coaching journey got more intense. I did a year-long leadership coaching program at University of San Diego, got my certification, started working with clients. And from there, it's just been this evolution of the right people coming along, the right opportunities, me sharing more of my authentic self with the world and the world almost rewarding me for that. And so now I'm in this place where I've been a coach for about two years. I've worked with lots of clients on lots of different things. And I'm realizing that what actually excites me the most and what I feel like what I feel like I'm really here to do, like what my soul is here to do is to help people with their biggest dreams and live that life that's true to themselves, to live that story worth telling so that when they get to the end of their life and they're old and wrinkled, they're fulfilled and happy and they have all these memories and experiences. It's not them sitting there with the five regrets of the dying. And part of that big adventure, or part of that shift recently to focus on dreams is this mini mission I said, where I'm having 100 conversations with people by July 30, by July 31st around their biggest dreams. Love it, man. Um, I want to, I, I want to ask you uh, in terms of getting some sort of direction, which you kind of mentioned earlier, like it's important to have some sort of direction, right? In life. Uh, how do you put that into play for, for yourself practically? Is there like a vision board? Is there a direction board? Uh, is it information you just store in the back of your head? Like, how do you kind of put that out there um, so that you know what uh, direction you're going to move in next? Great question. I've tried vision boards. I mean, I have one back here above my whiteboard, if you can see. I've done lots of different things, but what has worked best for me is periodically checking in with myself and asking, what do I want? It's the simplest question. It's the hardest question. The first time a coach asked me what I wanted, I stuttered for about eight minutes, just randomly saying things that I thought sounded nice to have. It wasn't actually what I wanted. So 
what I tell people too is figuring out what you want, it's going to be a really uncomfortable conversation for most people. Most of the time you don't actually know, you know, deep down, but you don't have language to explain it yet. So we have to wade around in the mud for a little bit, but then once you get clear on it, it's amazing and you know where you're going. So it's periodically asking myself, what do I want? And then more recently, it's again, periodically intentionally auditing my life. So looking at all of the things I'm saying yes to and the direction I'm moving in and asking myself, is this what I want? Do I want to keep saying yes to these things? If I do, is this the path I want to be on? I'm recently, recently said no to a few opportunities that I've been working on for a year, year and a half, because I'm recognizing that while that would get me to a great place, that destination is slightly different than where I want to be. And so thinking about that, like one thing that really helped me, and this was more when I was working in finance is I remember looking around the office and looking at my boss and his boss, and then all the way up to the CEO and asking myself, like, do I want that best case scenario? If everything goes great and I'm running this place, you know, in 10 years, do I want that? And it was a resounding no. Same thing with the nonprofit. If the nonprofit takes off and we're super successful and I'm traveling all over the country all the time to fundraise, like, do I want that? No, I don't. So it's, it's, it's checking in with yourself from time to time to say, is this what I want? Is this still the vision? And if the vision is unclear, that is so okay. I have always had a relatively unclear vision. It wasn't until recently. And I think because I've been on this path for three years now that I'm starting to see the vision and the vision is building a coaching company around helping people achieve their biggest dreams and building this network of amazing people who are all dreamers and building this community of dreamers who are all doing cool things so that we can support and encourage each other. But then also, so if I have a client who comes in, who is wanting to get into bodybuilding, into bodybuilding, I can be like, I know, I know a guy, I know Quentin, like I can send them to you. Maybe it's part of my coaching package to go work with you, something like that. And so all that to say, that's how I'm thinking about my vision and moving forward. Okay. Uh, kind of last topic, Gregory, I want to touch on with you. You mentioned uh, when you had coaches uh, at when, when you had coaches and they would ask you, what do you want? So kind of this last uh, topic I want to touch on is the importance of coaches having coaches. Um, I've, I've talked to a lot of uh, different types of coaches over my podcasting life. And every time I bring up this topic or ask these types of questions, is it important for coaches to have coaches to use some of your terminology? It's a resounding yes. Uh, so why don't you just talk a little bit or expound a little bit on um, how valuable it is for you as a coach to have a coach or coaches in your corner? And and how does that help you? Why, why is that important for a coach to have a coach or coaches. Yeah. Let me start by saying what my mom said the other day that really threw me for a loop. I was telling her the importance of having a coach and how I just hired this new coach and how much I spent on this coaching. And she was like, what? Like, why do you need a coach? You're a coach. Like, isn't that a pyramid scheme? And it really helps me slow down and explain to her the value. So I'll do that here. And that I would never want to ask a client to do something that I haven't already tried myself. Yeah. So if I'm asking a client to pay me $10,000, I 
after three conversations over Zoom. And I haven't done that. Me being the client, paying someone else, taking that leap of faith. To me, authenticity is one of my highest values. That just doesn't feel authentic. Right. My One of my biggest fears is, is being that like salesy, pushy coach. And so the way I go about that, navigating that is, yeah, always doing always doing the thing first. And it's not that I'm, if you want to become a musician, like I have to become a musician first so I can coach you on it. There's a lot of beauty in coaching in that if you actually have no experience in what the client is going for, you can help them so much because coaching is all about questioning. It's not giving advice. It's not saying, oh, when I did it, this is how I went about it. This is what I think you should do. But if you are a coach and you don't have a coach, to me, it just feels, it feels inauthentic. And it's like, for me, I believe in coaching so much as a modality of change that I'm always going to have a coach for the rest of my life because being a human being is messy. Being a human being who offers yourself as a service to other humans is even messier. I'm coming up against my own fears and resistance all the time. So there's that piece that my coach helps me with. And then there's also just the piece of they've been where I want to go. They know the business of coaching. They can ask really good questions. So I'll always have a coach because it's it's expediting my learning curve. It's making sure that I truly believe in what I'm doing. And again, I think the the most obvious answer I point to, it's it, w- it would be really inauthentic if I'm like, oh yeah, coaching is so good. It's so great here. Pay me $10,000, but I actually won't spend that own money myself. So to kind of tighten my language, it's not that I need to have been where my clients are going, but I think I'll always, just as my own rule, I think I'll always have had to have spent more money on coaching than I'm asking for them to pay me just from like a comfort imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of uh, coaching, this is kind of this will be the last question. Then we're gonna I'll give you kind of the opportunity to share any final thoughts or words, Gregory. Uh, in terms of coaching, uh, what do you feel like? I mean, you're you're on this like personal growth, uh, you know, uh, experience, right? Or or journey. I don't really like to use the word journey, but kind of what it is. Uh, but you're 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 going through this coaching experience. And you're, 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 you know, you're, you're learning yourself. So the question is like over the last three years that you've been like a a professional coach. And if there's more than one, feel free to share, but what do you feel like is the biggest takeaway or the biggest thing uh, that you've learned through the coaching experience, specifically serving others through being a professional coach? Mm. The biggest thing I've learned through being a coach. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. I would say the first, and this is really the power of coaching, is that we are the experts of our own lives. We have so many answers hidden inside of us. And oftentimes, they're just out of reach. Our conscious mind can't get to them. We don't have the right key to unlock the door to get that information from inside ourselves. And yet being in a conversation with a trained professional seems like those doors just open. The floodgates open and stuff pours out. 
And so much of what you discover in a coaching session, sometimes it's this crazy revelation where it's, I have never thought about this before and my entire paradigm was shattered and it's changed. But more often than not, it's, ah, yes, like that's what this feeling meant. I can now articulate it. I can now do something about it. It feels like you knew it all along, but you didn't make the space or have the tools to apply it. And so that's one of the biggest takeaways is that just simply talking to a coach, your life will get so much better. You'll find all of these solutions to your problems. You'll start to unload a lot of the stuff you've been holding inside. You'll start to move towards whatever it is you're working on. So that's that's number one is just kind of the power of coaching. And it's almost like it's it's not as sexy as this guru coach who completely unlocks you. It's really like you could you could talk to anyone and you're going to get benefit. But if you talk to a trained professional, it's going to be exponential. That's a lesson I've learned. And then probably the biggest lesson, and again, this goes back to why I'll always have a coach, the power of accountability, the power of not only saying out loud what you want to do, but saying out loud what you want to do to someone you're paying to hold you accountable for it. So working with a coach is so beneficial because you can almost outsource your willpower and your motivation and your discipline because you know that you're meeting with them on a set cadence. They're going to ask you about, did you do the things you said you're going to do? And just setting up those accountability structures in your life makes it so much easier. It's it's quite hard, I would say, to go through life being entirely self-sufficient, self-dependent. If you have coaches and you can do it with friends too, accountability partners, it makes life easier. And when you start doing the things that you said you wanted to do, that is one of the biggest recipes, I think, for self-love, for feeling like you're becoming the person you want to be. It's really that simple. I heard this quote the other day is that we use our actions to decide what we're like. So if you're constantly saying, I want to do this thing, I want to do this thing, and you don't do it, whether because you don't have accountability or you don't know how to do it and you need some guidance, you're letting yourself down over and over again. You're breaking your word to yourself. And so having a coach, having an accountability partner, doing anything you need to do in order to start doing the things you say you're going to do, even the small things, that's a really big step in the right direction. And one of the biggest reasons to get a coach is to just start making progress towards the goal. That to me right there is the definition of happiness. It's not getting to the destination because I've had so many clients who are so successful. They finally get everything they want and they still have problems. That's going to happen to all of us. It's success. It's uh, not even success. It's progress towards a goal on a on a journey, on a mission that you feel is worthwhile. That to me is happiness. Hmm. I think that's a great uh, ending point, uh, Gregory. Uh, before I do a quick outro and I, I let you go, I do want to give you the opportunity to uh, touch on anything that we didn't touch on during our conversation or if you have final thoughts, if you have final words that you just kind of want to leave with all of us, um, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to uh, share with us, you know, if you have uh, a website, which I I, I believe you do, um, you know, Instagram, where you would like to send people to connect with you uh, and any other shout outs, anything else you want to leave us, I'm going to turn it over to you, uh, let you share with us in closing. I'll do a quick outro and then I'll let you go. So platform is yours, Gregory. 
Thanks, Quentin. Mm -hmm. This question has always stumped me in the past because it felt inauthentic to tell people to go look at my website, to hire me as a coach, X, Y, Z. But now that I have this mini mission that I'm on, where I'm giving away 100 free hours of conversation, one hour to each person, this question feels great because I now have something to offer. And mm -hmm. so if you've listened to this and anything I've said, anything Quentin said, anything inside of you has perked up because of this conversation, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation around your biggest dreams. What are the things that more than a want that you need to do during your life that your soul is telling you you need to do whatever that voice inside of you? Let's talk about it and let's figure out how to start taking steps towards that so that you don't get to the end of your life and have these regrets so that you can start going on this big adventure where, where you'll meet the people you're supposed to meet, the doors will open and you'll really get to experience some of that magic. So I want to talk to you about your dreams. You can go to my website, which is gregoryrussellbenedict.com and book a dream session. Again, it's totally free. We'll spend the hour talking about your biggest dreams. We'll get into some of the pain because that's what I'm learning is if we just get excited, only talk about the dream, it'll be fun, but nothing will change. So we'll get into it. My my commitment, my intention is to have a life-changing conversation. Whether we work together or I never see you again, I want to fundamentally change the way you're thinking about something, what you think is possible in that session. And so that is my that is my offer. That is how I'm serving in a way that feels authentic to me, in a way that I can also grow my business in a way that feels authentic to me. Excellent. Love it. Uh, Gregory, I just want to say thank you for coming on to uh, Curious and Candid and just opening up, man, keeping it real with us, sharing your story. Um, it's 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 been a, been a great chat conversation. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Quentin. It's been a blast. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, all of you who are tuning into this episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And uh, in the same uh, light uh, as Gregory, uh, I'm, I'm always open to connect with uh, all of you, uh, other humans. That's what life is all about, is, is co connecting, serving, loving, working together. And uh, so if you want to connect with uh, Curious and Candid, if you want to connect with myself, there's a couple places that I'd like to uh, direct you. Uh, the first one would be Instagram and uh, that the place on Instagram that you can uh, reach out to me, connect with Curious and Candid is Curious and Candid Podcast. Um, just feel free to shoot me a DM, introduce yourself and we can uh, take it from there. Uh, another place that you can reach out to me and connect with Curious and Candid is uh, through email, curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. And I like to uh, just put the offer out there or share with people if you think you'd be a great guest for the podcast or if you have any podcast recommendations, uh, please uh, send me an email, curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. Introduce yourself or uh, share that recommendation uh, like I just stated, I'm, I'm always down to connect with, uh, humans and I, I, I just, I'm, I'm always on the lookout, uh, for, uh, awesome individuals to, to come on the podcast and share their story. So, um, just reach out through Instagram, reach out, uh, through email. And then, uh, I would just ask all of you a huge favor, uh, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and, uh, uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. And then if you are interested 
in holistic lifestyle coaching, uh, you guys can uh, go to my website and that website is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. So uh, it's completely different uh, from, uh, you know, kind of what Gregory, uh, his services, this is more focused on uh, training in the gym and taking a holistic uh, approach to nutrition and things like that. Um, but uh, if you guys are interested in that, you can go to awakentrainingnutrition.com. Again, I appreciate all of you guys. We'll catch you guys on the next episode of Curious and Candid.